Welcome back to Boilers and Beyond. I'm Jordan Jones. We are back here today on Sunday morning, October 8th, here to talk about Purdue's 20-14 to loss in Iowa City yesterday. The Boilermakers had plenty of chances to take the game in a different direction. However, it squandered a lot of opportunities, and the Hawkeyes came away with a very Iowa-style win. We're going to break it all down here today as we've reached the halfway point of the season. Purdue is six games in with six games to go. We'll talk all things Purdue-Iowa and then look a little bit at the big picture of things on the way out of here. Real quick, if you don't already, be sure to follow the show on Twitter, at Boilers Beyond. Lots of stuff going on there, and you are always welcome to send in questions there for the show. DMs are open, tweet at me, whatever floats your boat. And be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Episodes coming at you twice a week all throughout football season. Starting to work a little bit on the big basketball preview episode that I will run around the football bye week. I know you're not going to want to miss that. So be sure to subscribe wherever you get podcasts so that you don't miss a thing. Let's get on into this one though. Iowa 20, Purdue 14. You know, I'd said on the preview show uh, on Wednesday night that I I thought Purdue had a really good chance to win this game if it played clean and it played a solid game. And Purdue was not even close to that. Purdue really, when you look at it, did nothing to try and win this game. Purdue missed a lot of opportunities. Purdue made a lot of unforced errors. And it allowed Iowa to play this game the way Iowa wants to play games. And this is what Iowa does to teams. Iowa forces you to play a good, clean game and bets on you not doing it. And a lot of times, Iowa's right there. This was a game that, you know, Iowa brought Purdue into a mud fight, and Iowa doesn't lose those. It's a little frustrating to to walk, walk out of there with a loss because... You know, when you just look at the box score, you know, Purdue outgains Iowa. And, you know, Purdue had a lot of opportunities to do something. Purdue didn't, though. Purdue just didn't. Uh, Purdue, all in all, was, you know, good on third down. Purdue outgains Iowa by over 50 yards, 60, over 60 yards here. And at the end of the day, You know, Iowa wins this game with a quarterback completing just six passes. No wide receivers caught a pass for Iowa. Only two players caught a pass all day. Coming into this, Iowa's defensive line hadn't recorded a sack against a Power 5 opponent until now. Um, This is a tough pill to swallow if you're Purdue. You know, this is a game you you really had a chance to win. And, you know, you didn't. You didn't do much to try and win it, and that's what's really disappointing. You know, this game, early on, Purdue gets three straight drives into Iowa territory, and it doesn't score a single point. You know, you only get so many cracks against Iowa's defense. Uh, I'll be the first to tell you, Iowa's defense is very, very good. Um, you only get so many chances T.J. Sheffield sets you up in great field position on your first drive uh, with a really nice punt return, and Purdue squanders it, doesn't score. 
second drive, Purdue does nothing. Then you have great field position after an interception, a tipped ball interception that, you know, is a gift. It hit Iowa's receiver in the hands. Dylan Thieneman picks it off. You get a little bit of uh get a little bit of yards on the return. Julio Macias sends a kick wide left. You know, it was just one of those days that once that happened and Purdue goes three straight drives that start out promising and you don't score. Look, the writing was on the wall at that point that Purdue wasn't going to win this game. Uh, it, 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 you just can't miss those opportunities against Iowa. It felt like Purdue took a nice step forward after the win against Illinois. It was a comfortable win. Purdue looked good, especially in the second half, pulling away. And when you look at this game, it felt like a lot of that came crashing down to reality on Saturday in a game where Purdue just couldn't put it all together. I thought Purdue's defense was largely okay. Uh, it doesn't, you know, the one one thing that kind of stood out from Purdue's defense is, you know, it's an Iowa offense that's not great. It's hard to really throw stones here. Iowa under 300 yards only scores 20 points. You know, the, Purdue held, holds them 3 and 13, 3 for 13 on third down, just 12 first downs for Iowa. I mean, it's not great, but you know, Purdue's defense wasn't able to make big plays. It wasn't able to capitalize on Deacon Hill being pretty bad too much. Now, he overthrew a lot of his passes by so far that Purdue couldn't really pick him off. Um, that's that's a weird part of this game is is just how astonishingly bad that guy was. But Purdue couldn't make him pay. You know, Purdue's offense had a lot of chances to make him pay and couldn't do it. You know, Caleb Johnson's a good back. He breaks off that big touchdown early. Um, that that was a game changer. He's a really good back. He's up to 330 yards against Purdue in his career, and he's still got time left. So he's still got at least one year left, probably two years left. That's that's a good that's a good player. He's a really good player there. Um, you know, past that, you have that that touchdown that comes on comes on a big play. A field goal comes on a drive after after the interception that starts at the Purdue 9. Purdue's defense forces a field goal. Iowa has a couple of decent drives to set up a touchdown and a field goal in the second half, but you know, it's not like Purdue's defense was was really str- struggling too much. It, it was a fine day for them. But you know, at the end of the day, Iowa played this game the way Iowa wanted to play it, and Purdue couldn't take take control of this game when it had the chance. Hudson Card did not have a great day. Um, you know, you can look at some metrics, and it wasn't like he was horrible. It wasn't. 25 for 40, 247 yards, a touchdown, two picks. The second pick coming late in the game when – you know, Purdue's kind of desperate. Okay. It's not the worst stat line, but you know, for Purdue to for Purdue to really step up and and be 
better than it's looked through the first half of the year, it needs Hudson Card to play at a really high level. To a certain degree, it needs Hudson Card to play at the level that the staff hyped him up to be coming into the season. He got a lot of praise. You know, the staff said over and over that they felt he was the best quarterback in the transfer portal. I know that's a bit cliche because every coaching staff says that. I mean, for crying out loud, Billy Napier keeps saying that about Graham Mertz. We know that's not the case. But he has not looked like that so far this season. He's been fine. He's been passable. Um, And in some cases, he's been pretty good. But he's not been a game changer at quarterback like Purdue has really needed for this team to be better than two and four. The offensive issues don't solely fall on Hudson Card. The offensive line really struggled. You know, as I said, this is an Iowa pass rush that hadn't done much all season. It had just three sacks through the first, uh, through the first, what, that would have been five games of the season. It gets six of them on Saturday against Purdue. That's a problem. On the edges, Purdue really struggled. You know, we've talked all season about how Purdue doesn't really have a tremendous amount of ability at offensive tackle. Muhammad Musa hasn't had a great year. Marcus Bowe is fine, but, you know, he's more of a guard than a tackle. And now he's banged up. Get to that later. But Iowa dominated on the edges. Uh, Hudson Card was not particularly decisive. You know, you had a few instances where he held onto the ball really long. Uh, both in the first, at least both in the first half. I don't remember if the second was in the first quarter or not, but he gets into trouble because he's in the pocket, you know, he's hanging back there for so long. There's the sack that, you know, they ruled him down. Maybe he wasn't. The replay made it look like he wasn't. And then you have the intentional grounding. You know, those are both very avoidable if Hudson Card gets rid of the ball quicker. Now, he's trying to make a play. Uh, you can't fault him for that completely. He's trying to make a play. Purdue does not have a ton of game changers on the outside. You know, Deion Burks is pretty good, but in a game like this, Iowa's secondary was able to limit him. No one else was able to really step up. TJ Sheffield had a pretty good day. I, I think you look at the plays he made with the ball in his hand, it was a good day for him. He had a nice return on the punt on the first drive of the game. He had the nice 43-yard catch and run for a touchdown. 60 yards after the catch, he was pretty good. TJ Sheffield had a nice day. But, you know, all in all, 14 points isn't going to win you games. And right now for Purdue, the offense just still looks a little clunky. You know, it looked better last week. I think the more we see of Illinois, the more we realize that Illinois is really bad. Illinois just got embarrassed at home by Nebraska on Friday night and looked horrible in the process. Illinois is pretty bad. Purdue handled that bad team, but Illinois is pretty bad. 14 points isn't going to cut it. And... You know, now you sit at a spot, you're two and four, injuries are stacking up. You can blame Graham Harrell all you want. I've seen a lot of this on Twitter, a lot of this on message boards. 
fans, you know, unhappy with Graham Harrell. Look, this guy's on a three-year contract with, you know, like $1.9 million left on it after this year. He's not going anywhere. Graham Harrell's here for the long run. And I don't know that I think it's fair to blame everything on Graham Harrell. I think the personnel limitations are a real part of this. The offensive line's not great. The wide receivers aren't great. And, you know, the run game's solid. But against Iowa, you've got to be able to do more than that. You've got to be able to to keep Iowa's defense off balance. And you weren't able to do that enough. Is that solely, you know, is Graham Harrell to blame for part of that? Maybe. But there's only so much you can do with, with limitations sometimes. I look back, I think there are some parallels to, you know, 2019 when Purdue had a really rough year and injuries played a key role in that. But Purdue had a lot of young players out there and Purdue had a lot of players who just, you know, were very limited out there. There's only so much you can do with coaching to cover up, you know, legitimate personnel limitations. Purdue's special teams are a little concerning. Jack Ansel had a really bad day yesterday. You know, he's in his third year now. He really struggled as a true freshman. He had, a, he improved last year, but yesterday Ansel really struggled. Um, the first two punts he had, he sent way into the end zone. And I get not wanting, you know, to let Cooper DeGene kill you in the return game, but at least angle him towards the sideline or something. Those were non-competitive. Purdue, you know, he uses some rugby-style punts, playing right into DeGene's ability to return it. I, I don't know. Uh, that That's a problem. This is another game where Purdue misses a field goal. That's a problem. Purdue has missed a field goal in all but one game, and in that game it missed an extra point. Whether it's Macias, whether it is Ben Freehill, you know, I don't know when he's going to be back healthy. I don't know who takes the kicks when Ben Freehill's back healthy. This is a problem. Uh, Purdue's not a good enough team to allow special teams to be a weakness. And right now, We've seen some flashes from the return game, but kicking and punting is a weakness for Purdue. You know, as I said, the injuries are starting to stack up here. You know, Purdue was out three starters coming into this game. You had OC Brothers, Max Clare, Marquise Wilson sidelined. Max Clare seems like he'll be out a while. Not sure on Brothers or Wilson. You need them both back, though. I don't know how injured Hudson Card is or isn't. If you listen to the broadcast, they made him sound like he was beaten up badly. I don't know. You know, sometimes these broadcasts, you got to take them all with a grain of salt. They're not around the teams very much, especially, you know, a Peacock crew. But they made it sound like Hudson Card was pretty banged up. If you ask me if that's legit and Hudson Card is pretty... You know, pretty beat up. He shouldn't play against Ohio State next week. I don't think that's likely to happen. But if Hudson Card is pretty banged up, why risk him getting further injured in a game you're very unlikely to win? You know, the Lions came out this morning and Ohio State's a 20 and a half point favorite. I don't know why you send him out there if he's injured. Just take your losses, get to the bye week, 
give them two weeks of rest, and then you've got them for the last five weeks where you have four very winnable games. You know, Marcus Bow getting hurt's a huge issue, and that also plays into my thought there. Ryan Walters kind of said in the post game, Mo- Marcus Bow's injury looked really bad, and when it looks really bad, it tends to be really bad. Purdue doesn't have much of an option at tackle. Is Daniel Johnson healthy? Maybe. He's kind of been on that questionable list all year. You got to kick Ben Farrell out to tackle like you did on Saturday when Bo went out. Purdue's, Purdue's in a tough spot there. Purdue doesn't have much at tackle. Moving Bo from guard to tackle was telling ahead of the season about how Purdue felt about what it had at tackle. You're seeing it. Uh, Purdue, Purdue struggles there on both sides, too. Moose has not had a great year. Tyrone Tracy goes down early. That's a bummer. Uh, credit to Devin Mockaby and Dylan Downing. They had a nice game. They ran the ball well. They ran the ball hard. But Purdue needs playmakers. Tyrone Tracy's a playmaker. Keep an eye on him. You need him back. You know, if if not for Ohio State, after the bye week, you need as many of these guys healthy as possible. These injuries stacking up's a problem. Uh, credit to Garrett Miller. He stepped up well with Max Clare out. He's starting to come back from injury. He did a nice job. He played a good game. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, we're halfway through the season. Purdue's 2-4. and four. I'm not tremendously surprised by this. You know, before the season, I had Purdue at 5-7. and seven. And that is still, I think right now, it's probably the most likely outcome still. Six and six is on the table. Purdue has six games left. Ohio State and Michigan are as close to sure losses as you can get. After that, though, Nebraska, Minnesota, Northwestern, Indiana. None of those teams look particularly good. Nebraska is remarkably limited, as is Minnesota. They just got splattered by Michigan last night. Northwestern almost lost to Howard. Indiana's not good. Purdue can definitely beat all four of those teams. Now, can Purdue beat all of them? I guess Purdue can beat all of them individually, and it wouldn't shock me at all. In fact, Purdue might be favored in all of those games. But can you parlay them all and win all four? Tough ask. Tough ask for this team. It's not impossible, but it's a tough ask. You know, so far, Purdue's been the better team twice and the worst team four times. The results speak for themselves. Um, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. You know, you see a lot of overreactionary stuff, questioning Ryan Walters, questioning Graham Harrell. Look, these are the hires you've made, and you're rolling with them. Um, you hired Ryan Walters. He gave Graham Harrell a big deal. Look, give him time. Year one is not make or break, but you are entering, you know, a whole new landscape next year. We saw what the schedules look like for 2024 and beyond. It gets tough real quick. Um, For Purdue, if you are able to somehow on the back half of the season win those games and get to six and six, that's a heck of a year. If not, it's not the end of the world. A bowl game is not the be-all, end-all for this team. 
finish off this recruiting class strong and attack the hell out of the transfer portal. Because yes, it's a strong class, but you need instant impact help for next year. You need guys who can make a difference right away. And right now, if there's a biggest reason why Purdue is two and four, it's a lack of impact players on the field. I got a question on Twitter from two different Bryans. Two different Bryans sent in a tweet, a uh, question to me. And one of them is, you know, are the issues Purdue is having more related to coaching or personnel? I firmly believe it's a personnel thing. Are there things coaching-wise that you can question with Purdue? Sure. But there are coaching questions. You know, you can always question something as it pertains to coaching. And right now, the personnel, there are just too many holes on this team. You know, Purdue's thin, thin on the offensive line. There aren't a ton of difference makers at wide receiver. Your quarterback has not been a transcendent talent. On the defensive line, you've got a couple of good edge rushers, but on the interior, you're just fine. Same deal at linebacker. Same deal on the back end of the defense. Really, with the exception of Dylan Thieneman and Sanusi, Kane's been pretty good, in my opinion. He had a good day. But it's not a good thing when you look at this game against Iowa and your leading tacklers are Sanusi, Kane, and Dylan Thieneman. Dylan Thieneman plays in the next county over. He was playing in Nebraska for half the day Saturday. He's so far off the ball. You don't want him to be a leading tackler against Iowa. But that's, you know, that's part of where Purdue is. Um, I, I think it's a personnel thing. I think it's way too early to pin this solely on coaching. We're going to learn a lot by how, how focused Purdue can stay on this back half, though. Especially if bowl eligibility becomes mathematically impossible. We'll learn a lot, but there's still a lot of football left to play for Purdue, and we'll see where it goes from here. And the last question, um, if you're over on the message boards, it's generating a lot of buzz. Longtime listener Brian says, how am I supposed to smile knowing what Jeff Brom is doing? Yeah, that's a tough one. Um, that's a tough one. Uh, as you probably know, Jeff Brom's 6-0 at Louisville. Just beat Notre Dame last night. Look, the guy can coach. Um, the guy can absolutely coach. Purdue fans know this. No revisionist history can change how impressive 2017 was. And, you know, Purdue won 17 games over 21 and 22. That hasn't happened much in the history of Purdue football. The guy can coach. Uh, he's off to a great start at Louisville. I, I think he's going to be really good there. Um, I've always said, you know, I think I think this was a weird weird deal for Purdue because going home was such a family thing for him and that family that Purdue didn't Purdue wasn't going to keep him. It's okay. He did a good job at Purdue. He moved on. Now, you know, if you're Purdue, you're focused on the future. Um, dwelling over Jeff Brom isn't going to get you anywhere, but you know, if you're one of the people that's very very bitter about Jeff Brom leaving, then yeah, that that's probably a tough one for you. Um, that's where I'll end things for today, though. We'll be back in the midweek to preview Purdue against Ohio State. Can the Boilermakers spring another upset on the Buckeyes? 
Purdue has done it five times in Ross-Aid Stadium in the 21st century. Can they make it number six? We will preview that on the midweek show. In the meantime, tweet any questions to me at Boilers Beyond. Send them in a tweet. Send them in a DM. You can also email questions to boilersandbeyondpod at gmail.com. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss anything. We will be back here soon. But until then, guys, take care.